Association. Some years ago, at a Fellowship of Christian Airline Personnel Conference, a beautiful stewardess told how one day she was serving coffee on a plane that had just taken off. Now, you can tell it was some years ago because the attendant was still called a stewardess and they still serve coffee. Uh, anyway, as she stooped beside a man who had motion for her, he opened his hand and showed her an explicitly sexual object. She immediately got the implication and it, uh, it shook her. She didn't know how to respond at the moment, so she turned and went to the back of the plane to recover. She prayed for composure and asked God what to do because she knew she would have to face him again. When she went back, she knelt down, looked him in the eye, and said, Sir, I saw what you showed me, and I understand what you mean. But there's something you need to know. I am a Christian, and my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God says he's going to destroy anyone who damages his temple. <laughs> well, the man began to stutter out an apology, and she said, I understand, don't say any more. I just wanted you to know that. She later thanked the Lord for laying that verse on her heart because it delivered her from both an embarrassment and the threat of an uncomfortable situation. Well, the scripture she referred to is found in our text for this morning. It speaks of the temple of God and the fact that it must not be destroyed. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, ready for verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Now, actually, Paul isn't addressing an individual here. He's addressing the church in Corinth. We know that because he uses the plural form of you. He's already referred to the church as God's field and God's building, and now he's calling it God's temple. That's really what he's talking about here. Now, the stewardess wasn't wrong in applying this verse to herself individually because in chapter 6, Paul will make it clear that every Christian's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is obviously something every girl and boy should be taught. But here, Paul is referring to the church as a whole. He's referring to the church as the temple of God. Now, that doesn't mean we ought to change the name of Chatham Christian Church to Chatham Christian Temple, or that we should refer to this building as a temple, or, for that matter, even as a church. You know, a building isn't a church, in spite of the fact that most people think of the building as the church. Like the woman who 
when being admitted to a hospital and asked for her church preference, said, red brick. <laughs> I find that very funny. <laughs> well, Paul's not talking about a building. The Corinthians didn't even have a church building. They worshiped in homes. It's God's people who are the church. And since the Holy Spirit inhabits God's people and makes them individually into temples of His Spirit, collectively, the church is also the temple of God. Now, the word Paul uses for temple actually refers to the holy place, and particularly the holy of holies, the central part of the temple in which the Spirit of God dwelt during the Mosaic period, the the sanctuary proper. But since God no longer inhabits a building, inhabiting instead His people, that means we are now God's sanctuary. And again... Contrary to popular usage, the room in which Christians worship is not the sanctuary. God doesn't live in this room. He lives here. He lives in our hearts. We don't come here to visit God on Sunday mornings. We bring Him with us when we gather. But I guess, in effect, this place does become a sanctuary when we are here. Because by being here, people indwelt by the presence of God make this place into a sanctuary, into the temple of God. And a temple of God is obviously holy. Individually, we are made holy by the presence of God in our life. And the church becomes holy by the presence of God in the lives of the people who make up the church. And to be holy is to be different. To be set apart for God's purposes. To be sacred. As Christians, we are different. Our bodies may look like everyone else's, but our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of a temple is to make God's presence known. Now, that affects Everything we do and say, the way we live, Christ lives in our hearts and men should see Him when they see us. But which one of us alone can make the fullness of Christ visible to man? There's not one who can. So God takes us, puts us together, and together we make up the body in which Christ is made visible today. Collectively, the church is the body of Christ, the temple of God. And it is therefore holy. It's different than any other organization in the world. Now, when an individual Christian forgets that he is holy that he has been set apart as the temple of God and starts thinking and acting like everyone else in the world, his witness is destroyed. The same is true of the church. If it forgets that it's holy, that it's different, and starts thinking and acting like every other organization in the world, its witness as the temple of God 
is destroyed. And Paul makes it very clear what God thinks of that. He says if a man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. Now, the word he uses for destroy doesn't mean to destroy in sense of annihilation. It means to destroy by corrupting, to defile something, to turn it into something it's not intended to be. God gets upset when he turned his temple into nothing more than a religious institution that thinks and acts like every other organization on earth. So Paul goes on to make it clear that the church must not listen to the world. Verses 18 through 20. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become foolish, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. The wisdom of this world can corrupt the church. But that shouldn't surprise us. Paul's already reminded us how the rulers of this age misunderstood God's wisdom and crucified His Son. He's noted that a natural man thinks the things of the Spirit are foolishness. And he's pointed out to the Corinthians that their jealousy and strife and rivalry were the results of thinking like the world. Now, if we incorporate the world's methods, the world's philosophies, the world's priorities in our life, we cease to be holy. If we act like the world and think like the world and strive for the same things the world is striving for, we are carnal. We are fleshly. We look just like the natural man. And the same thing is true of the church. The church is to be unique, different, set apart from every other organization on earth. That's why we've got to think differently. That's why we've got to use a different wisdom than the world uses. You know, if we let the world tell us how to counsel and meet men's needs, we'll become just another social service agency. If we let the world tell us how to draw crowds, we'll be just another source of entertainment for the community. If we seek to succeed according to the world's standards, at best, at best, we'll just be another successful organization. But we are more than that. We are the body of Christ. We are God's field. God's building, God's temple. We are different, and we play with a different set of rules. Our standard of success is different. Our objective is to faithfully serve our Lord and to build up one another with gold, silver, and precious stones so we can make God's presence known in the world. If we start listening to the world, 
we will corrupt the temple of God. We will destroy its witness to the uniqueness of God. And that's why it frightens me to see the church listening to experts, afraid to make a move without first hiring a consultant, even a Christian consultant. Now, that's not to suggest a church should never seek an opinion outside the local congregation. Sometimes a fresh perspective on things can be very helpful. But some have elevated research and marketing consultants to the status of ultimate authority. And for 30 years, George Barna has been that ultimate authority for many churches. Barna is founder and president of Barna Research Group and has conducted research for many corporations and organizations, both secular and sacred. He's also a prolific author on marketing and trends in society and in the church. Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Naperville, has been quoted as saying, I try to read everything George Barna writes, not only because I want to, but because I feel I have to. Now, I've read some of Barna's materials, and some of it is certainly worth considering. But we've got to be very careful not to get hooked by what Jim Simbala, pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle and author of Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, calls the lure of marketing. In a chapter of that name, he writes, The apostles weren't trying to finesse people. Their communication was not supposed to be cool or soothing. They aimed for a piercing of the heart, for conviction of sin. They had not the faintest intention of asking, what do people want to hear? How can we draw more people to church on Sunday? That was the last thing in their minds. Such an approach would have been foreign to the whole New Testament. Instead of trying to bring men and women to Christ in the biblical way, we are consumed with the unbiblical concept of church growth. The Bible does not say we should aim at numbers, but rather urges us faithfully to proclaim God's message in the boldness of the Holy Spirit. This will build God's church God's way. Unfortunately, some churches now continually monitor how pleased people are with the services and asked what else they would like. One denominational specialist told a reporter, we need to learn how to surf with changes. Now, it is true that change can sometimes be good, and in spite of my conservative nature, I do occasionally change. Slowly. You're aware of that. But you know, catching the latest wave doesn't guarantee we're riding the right wave. A wave that God has sent. Besides, as Simbala noted in a chapter entitled The Lure of Novelty, especially since the 1960s, fads have come and gone in the North American church only to be replaced by newer fads. And as he had quoted Leonard Ravenhill as saying to him shortly before he died, People say the church today is growing and expanding. Yes, it's ten miles wide now and about a quarter inch deep. Paul says, if anyone thinks he is wise in this age, 
he should become foolish before God so he can be made wise. And he quotes Job's friend Eliphaz who says, God is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And the psalmist who said, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. The church is in trouble when it thinks it's smart. And the church leader who thinks the keys to success in the church are the same ones that work in the world is in for a big surprise. The wisdom of this age will not last. You cannot build an eternal temple with temporary wisdom. God is the only one who can tell us how to build his church, and he has spoken. The temple of God will be corrupted if it listens to the world and builds with whatever works. Remember, we can build with wood, hay, and straw, but it won't last. All we'll do is weaken the temple of God. And if we listen to the wisdom of the world, the church will certainly divide over who to listen to. And the temple of God is not to be divided. Verses 21 through 23. So then let no one boast in men. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. The church in Corinth, as we've seen, even divided over God's spokesman and his appointed apostles. And when some said, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and even I of Christ, they had divided into factions that in effect divided up the body of Christ. And Paul makes it very clear that that should never happen. To look at it another way, the temple of God should never be divided into little temples that honor men. Not even Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. Let alone men who are perhaps more wise in the ways of the world than they are wise in the things of God. The church isn't to divide over men or ideas or theologies and build walls in the temple. But how quickly those walls go up. We divide over personalities and create denominations named for men or a particular practice. Or align ourselves with an interdenominational association like the Willow Creek Association and try to pattern ourselves after the ministry of one particular successful preacher. I've been to several church growth conferences over the years and it's sad. It's sad to hear everyone and to watch everyone just sit there soaking up what one man says as if that's the way their church has to be. Got to be very careful, very, very careful about that. Now, before long, as Richard Hayes notes in his commentary in 1 Corinthians, we are acting as though the various churches were franchise operations like McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's, each hustling for a market share. 
Now, one church markets itself as a church with a worldwide vision and tries to capture the missionary-minded market. Another stresses the abundant life and tries to capture an audience with promises of wealth and prosperity, while on the other extreme, another focuses on death of self and personal sacrifice and tries to attract those who are more ascetic in nature and believe Christians should live lives of self-denial. And then there are churches that want to be on the cutting edge of everything, from worship styles to technology, who want to be what Flip Wilson used to call, what, the church of what's happening now. Or the church of what's going to happen tomorrow. A church that authoritatively speculates on the future and tries to scare people into the kingdom to avoid the horrors of the end times. Now, I'm not sure if that's exactly what Paul had in mind when he wrote whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, but we divide over things like that all the time, and it's ridiculous. You know, God has given us a variety of preachers and teachers, and we shouldn't choose just one and boast about him as if no others exist. And God has revealed to us the truth about all things, the world, life, death, things present, and things to come. Let's explore it all. Let's be in the Word of God. It doesn't just contain the truth. It is the truth. Read it. Study it. Filter everything you see and hear in the world through God's Word to keep it true. God's Word is so vital to what we do. If we're going to build a balanced temple of God, we've got to study God's Word in its entirety. We've got to know it. We can't just be saying the same things over and over and over again. You've got to be in the Word. I've got to be in the Word. And we can't assume we've captured everything already. We need to keep studying, keep looking, keep being amazed at what we find in God's Word. It's there. It's there. It's all been given to us. And we all belong to Christ. And contrary to what some might believe, Christ doesn't belong to just one church or denomination or brotherhood or association. Christ belongs to God, Paul says, and we all belong to Christ. Collectively, all who claim Christ as Lord of their life constitute the temple of God. Let's not destroy the temple by corrupting it with the world's thinking, over the, by dividing into little shrines to ourselves. Let's study God's Word. Let's learn from our brothers and sisters in other traditions. Let's not be afraid to read or to think. But let's not be tossed to and fro by every little wind of doctrine that comes out or think we have to copy the teaching of the world in order to succeed. If we destroy God's temple, God will destroy us. The stewardess made it very personal. We make it collective. As a church, we've got to be faithful. That means individually and collectively. It's the temple of God's job to make Jesus seen and heard 
and known in the world. For that to be done, we must individually and collectively be cleansed of our sin, inhabited by the Spirit of God, and then directed by God's Holy Spirit through His Word to be the temple of God. Let's make sure that individually and collectively we are the temple of God. We're different. Let's not be afraid to be different. Let's not let the world squeeze us into its mold. I love the way J.B. Phillips translates that passage. And we do that as individuals, and sadly, churches are tempted to do the same. Let the world squeeze it into its mold because the things of the world seem to work. That's not the truth, is it? If we're to be the temple of God, we must remain holy, individually and collectively as a church.